Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the St Albans Five Docs Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. So during our experience of COVID, our collective experience of COVID, something came out that I think was pretty fascinating. We Australians aren't as anti-authoritarian as we might have thought. A professor at Monash University, Professor Graham Davidson, whose primary research interest is on Australia's national identity, that's what he researches, he said this, if Ned Kelly was still around, he'd probably have been an anti-vaxxer, yet no doubt find himself in the minority. Stemming from our convict beginnings, we often tend to think that Australians are anti-authoritarian, that we're all kind of little Ned Kellys questioning of and rebellious to authority. But he continues, I think it's probably the reverse. We're usually compliant and obedient. We, we saw this play out at the heights of the pandemic. Among other things, we had a vaccine compliance rate that was the envy of the world, especially compared to the UK and the US. Davison continues that, especially when it comes to personal and societal safety, we're receptive to the precautions spelt out by those in authority. So examples are our willingness to have our blood alcohol tested and rules around seatbelts. We're compliant with those things. In the SBS's Cultural Guide to Australia, it says this, Australians often express a light disregard for authority, especially in their humour, Think of the chasers war and everything. It is classic Australian anti-authoritarian humour. Nevertheless, most are very conscientious about following the rule of law. I think that sums it up well. As Australians, we need, or we know we need authorities, but we also sit pretty uncomfortably with those same authorities. And in this morning's passage, it's all about authority. It is all about Jesus's. Jesus' authority over everything, including every aspect of our lives. That's what the passage is about. So from last week, we um, saw or read of Jesus entering a symbol-laden place, Jerusalem, at a symbol-heavy time, Passover, and he performs symbol-laced actions. You you might remember the phrase from last week, prophetic street theatre. That's what he did last week, Jesus. By clearing the temple and by withering the fig tree, Jesus was saying that the whole temple system will one day stop completely in the way that his actions caused it to stop momentarily. That was last week. So how do you think the temple authorities were going to respond to that? Let's jump into the passage, page 802, 802 from verse 23. Page 802. So Jesus has the temerity to return to the temple the day after he did these things. So when Jesus entered the temple, it says in verse 23, the chief priests and the elders of the people, those in authority, the the heavies, the local heavies, they came to Jesus as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? They're trying to duck and weave. They're ignoring the point that Jesus made the previous day and instead they're challenging the process. They're asking, what are the regulations that you've followed? What procedures have you observed? 
What head of authority have you come under? Who gave you permission for this, Jesus? Now, if Jesus says that it was God's authority that gave him permission to do what he did in the temple, they'll punish him as a blasphemer. Of course, God would never allow anyone to do that to God's own temple. But if Jesus said it was his own authority that gave him permission to do what he did, then they'll discredit him because no one acts on their own authority. And so Jesus knows that this isn't an innocent question. And so verse 24, Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The question, did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? The local authorities think they've skewered Jesus. But Jesus turns the tables. It's, it's nearly comical. So from verse 25, they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, if John the Baptist's baptism was from heaven, he'll say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all regard John as a prophet. These people asking Jesus the question, who are trying to skewer him, they're skewered themselves. They've got nowhere to go. So verse 27, they answered Jesus, we do not know by what authority John did what he did. And Jesus answered them, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. It's not only as if Jesus is like a master fencer or swordsman with words. You know in all the movies how you've got the main character who is an ace with a sword and somehow gets a, flips the helmet off and has the head of the sword at the person's neck at the end of the scene. It's not only like Jesus is like that with words. Jesus is also answering their question at the same time. He's not just playing with them. They ask, by what authority are you doing these things? The reason Jesus mentions John the Baptist is because of what John's main message was. You might remember what John's main message was. We had a series on John the Baptist a little while ago. The whole point of John the Baptist's life and ministry was to prepare the way for Jesus. His message, John the Baptist's message, you might remember from Matthew chapter 3, was that he'll not baptise with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And John said, no one, no one is worthy to undo his sandals. John knew who the one was that was to come. And so when Jesus mentions John the Baptist in his answer to the local heavies, by what authority have you acted? He is giving them an answer. The one who has acted is the one who baptises with the Holy Spirit, whose sandals you are not worthy to untie. The one who has acted is the God these Jewish people claim to worship. Jesus is acting with the authority of God. Now, this is a stealthy move by Jesus. And it's pretty satisfying to watch. As Australians, we love to watch stuff like this happen. We love to see the authorities left in gaping silence. But we also need to be careful. I wonder whether, in a sense, there's a danger that we fall into a similar trap that the Pharisees and the Jewish heavies fall into here, similar to the one that caught them out. So what I think the story is doing is inviting us, the readers, to side with Jesus. We know how to answer the question about John the Baptist. We know how to answer that question, that his baptism did come from heaven. Of course. 
which means everything John said about Jesus was right, which means Jesus' own authority came from heaven. And the danger we face is to smirk at the disgrace of the Jewish leaders in such a way that we fail to notice where our very siding with Jesus leaves us. If Jesus has taught us anything, it ought to be to examine ourselves in light of what he says. It's always, it's always dangerous if we ever feel morally superior to anybody, even if it's as we watch the corrupt temple elite get their comeuppance. And so we need to examine ourselves. We are those who recognize the authority Jesus has. Jesus says about himself in Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the thing is, there's something in us all that wants to fight with that authority. It clashes with us all. And so I've got a question. When was the last time that the authority of Jesus in your life meant that instead of doing what you wanted, you did what he wanted? which at that point was quite a different thing. Now I know the answer to that question for many of you. You have done many things that you wouldn't otherwise do if it weren't for following Jesus. But we're all tempted to put aside the authority of Jesus. It clashes with us all. And for me, personally, much of my life as a minister and as a follower of Jesus is a joy. I can't believe that I have been enfolded into the story of new creation that has begun in me and that I can work with Jesus as I bring people into this new life that Jesus brings. It's a joy. But there are times when doing what Jesus wants me to do is something I prefer not to do. And it's when those times come upon us all that we find out whether we're actually a little more like the Jewish leaders than we care to notice. If we don't do what Jesus wants us to do. So that's the authority of Jesus. It's one thing to recognize Jesus' authority. It's another thing to accept it. So this is the, the, the riddle that we, we saw in the video, the parable. Jesus continues talking to the Jewish elite from verse 28. What do you think? A man has two sons. He went out to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. I will go. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your mind and believe him. So it's really quite a simple parable. We've got the owner, the, the, the man who, who owns everything in the farm, who wouldn't usually work the farm, but things obviously aren't going well for him. So he has to ask his two sons to help. And in response to the request of the father, one son responds extremely rudely, and especially in light of the patriarchal context in which this was first told. It's extremely rude, but he ends up feeling, uh, fulfilling the father's request. And the other son calls the, the dad more literally, Lord. Yes, I will, Lord. 
He's the model son. But he never goes out to work. And what Jesus is saying is that the outsider, the immoral, the independent, the colour outside the box, the somewhat more honest kid, is the one who in the end pleases the father's heart. And it's the older son, the good son, who's lost. And at this point in time, you're probably reminded of another parable very similar to this, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. This is like Luke's, I mean Matthew's miniature version of it. Jesus goes on to say in verse 31, it's the prostitutes and the tax collectors who get into the kingdom of God before the good people, the moral people, the people to whom he's speaking and holding eye contact. He's, he's, He's looking at these people as he's speaking. You've got to love how flint hard Jesus can be when required and how gentle and kind he can be when required too. But what's the difference between the two sons? Look at verse 29. One of the sons answered, I will not, but later he changed his mind and went. He changed his mind. Now the word, the Greek word underneath the word, uh, the phrase changed his mind is a, a word very familiar to us. It's, the word is metanoia, but it's translated often as repentance. Repentance means having a change of mind, a change of heart. And the point is that it doesn't matter what's in your past. It doesn't matter what's in your past, whether it's as deceitful and fraudulent as a tax collector's or as sexually profligate as a prostitute's. What matters is having this change of mind, this repentance. In other words, when what you think and want clashes with what Jesus thinks and wants, and there's a clash for both sons, what matters is this surrender to Jesus' authority, this change of mind, this repentance. Remember John's, the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of repentance. What matters is this repentance, this change of mind, this surrender. And to be sure, surrendering to Jesus' authority doesn't mean simply living a moral life. That is too superficial. The son in the story was trying to use his good manners. Yes, Lord, I will. He was trying to use his good manners to somehow deceive his dad, to somehow get out of doing the hard work of doing what the father wanted him to do. And it's such a common thing, I think especially around here, There's a lot of Roman Catholicism around. It's such a common thing for people to think that if they do a few good things, if they give a little to charity, if they're active in the community, if they do a few signs of the cross, if they christen their kids, they're fulfilling what God wants of them. As if somehow the son thought that by saying, I will, Lord, I'll go, would be enough. But what God wants of us goes so much deeper What God wants of us is complete surrender. Now, surrender is a scary word. It's scary enough when you're at one of those work team-building days and you've got to surrender your body weight to the person behind you. But try surrendering your, your life from this day forwards. Try surrendering your heart's loves your life's choices and your mind's thoughts. Try surrendering all that to Jesus. And 
To be a Christian, there has to be a moment. You know that moment when you're at that work team building function and you've decided, yep, I'm going to do it. And there's that moment of feeling out of control. You've given yourself over to that person. As a Christian, there is that moment for everyone. That moment of giving up, giving over control to the one who has all authority. And so I just want to say that you might be someone who's been at church for a little while, who's been intrigued by Jesus, who finds him enjoyable as he unruffles feathers, who finds him truthful on most occasions. But you're yet to do this thing of giving up, surrendering your life to him. I just want to say that today is as good as day, as good a day as any day to do that. If you're already, if you're if you're one person, if you're someone who wants to do that, I would love to chat to you after the service at some point. But if that's not you, if you have been a Christian for a long time, if you've been someone who's been following Jesus for years, the truth is that although the that moment, the big M moment of surrender might have been in your might be in your past, every single day. There is that choice to surrender over to Jesus. Every single day there is the temptation not to. To not give your choices, your energy up for Jesus. And so every day is a day for us to surrender our lives to the authority of Jesus. And surrender has everything to do with trust. So this morning we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. It's our opportunity to relive the moment when the Lord of heaven and earth, the one with all authority, spent all of his power and authority for our redemption. The Lord of all surrendered himself to us wholly and totally. He yielded himself to you. He gave himself up for you and me. He was tested. In that moment, would God use all of his power and might for our good? Would God do it? Would God, would God love us with all of himself? Well, Christ Jesus gave himself up for us. We can trust God. We can trust God. We can give ourselves to him. He is love and compassion and gentleness and faithfulness all the way down. And so as we receive the Lord's Supper this morning, see it for what it is. The Lord's Supper is a sign and a symbol of Christ giving himself up for us. And it's an opportunity for us to give ourselves back to him again. Let's, let's pray to the Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much that you came into our world to give us a window into the love of God. We thank you that we can trust you, that you are steadfast love and faithfulness all the way down, that you are worthy to hold our lives, that we can give ourselves to you in service and in love. We pray that you fill us with the Holy Spirit so this gets easier and easier and more of a joy every single day of our lives. In the name of Jesus.
Amen. Every day is a chance to spread our life to Jesus.